Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists. Jory Delight's here, and we've got a guest. <laughs> that was the most like tacky thing I could probably do for this episode. Um, I'm so excited to be presenting one of the most incredible drag artists um, in Scotland. This is going to be such a lovely interview to share with all of you, with such an important discussion, actually. Something I had mentioned on the House of Liabilities digital drag show last night was the importance, in my opinion, of um, acknowledging the trans community and the LGBTQIA plus community and femme presenting people. And for me, there really has been such an, um, an ignorance towards the trans community for quite a while. A lot of my listeners will know that I worked with Fauna Love and Sarah Forrester doing an R&D, which is a research and development in theatre on sort of LGBTQIA history and education systems and Section 28 and Stonewall and the sort of HIV AIDS crisis in the 80s and the sort of way that the media monopolised and considered that a gay agenda, which was absolutely not the case. And one of the things we talked about that Fauna particularly as a trans man spoke about in their monologues was the sort of idea that now there's a trans agenda being led by the media, which as many of you all know as trans allies, is just not a thing. And if you're obviously a member of the trans community, you absolutely know it's not a thing. And one of the things I felt that was really important that recently happened was abolishing that fucking Joanna Cherry. I mean, good riddance, goodbye. We have absolutely no... Um, um, we have no time for transphobic, trans-exclusionary feminists, in my opinion, there's always been a thing that if you're not an intersectional feminist, are you really a feminist? Like, that's always been my conversation to be had. And when we did the R&D, we looked in depth at the way that the, the media basically creates a lot of these false pretenses and ideas and narratives. So this story and this interview with this gorgeous person is going to really, um, really get an, interest in, uh, get an interest in feedback. I'm very excited to share this one with all of you. And I think it was such an interesting conversation to talk about where do the trans community fit in the drag community. And I'm so glad that the next guest touches on that, as well as being their fabulous, fiery self, talking about their work, who they are, their hopes and ambitions for the future. It was such a lovely interview. I met this young performer ages ago. One of the performances that really struck for me um, and stuck out was actually their performance of an Alaris Morissette song, which they talked about during the podcast interview of me as well. And it was such a great experience to get to catch up with them because, you know, the pandemic right now is so difficult that getting to hear insight and conversation on what's going on right now is important. But also seeing that growth and development when they've done an online drag competition, it, it just... It's been such a pleasure to watch them grow. And I, when I say a starlet, I genuinely see a star on the horizon. So make some noise and get excited for the gorgeous Anne Spank. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I have got one of the best drag queens from Dundee, in my opinion. She is an absolute starlet. And I remember first seeing her perform at Lip Line at Free Sisters, which, oh my God, what a throwback that feels like now, February 2021, doing one of my favourite Alanis Morissette numbers. And ever since, I've just kept a good eye on the rise in talent. It is the amazing Anne Spank. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you saying nice things about that number. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. Absolutely grand to have you. You're obviously a Leo and I love Leos. And then on top of that, the fact that you did an Alanis Morissette song, we all can relate to that song. You ought to know that is a bop and a half. Absolutely. Like, I feel like so many of my numbers are literally just like how I'm feeling in the moment. And I feel like that number is such like a powerful, angry number. And you know, I got that Leo fire. 
and then I did like a pure sobby capish number after, which brings that cancer rising in. And then afterwards, when I'm done, I get that Capricorn moon and I just suppress and we move. Are you a Capricorn moon? I am. I'm a Leo sun, cancer rising Capricorn moon. Or I can get the full chart out if you want, but then it might turn into a Havana Meltdown podcast. <laughs> That's so funny because I've got Taurus moon, so we're actually very compatible people. I love that. Oh, baby, so emotional. <laughs> that are grounded when it needs to happen. Love that. Yeah. So could you introduce yourself to my listeners? I mean, I think a lot of them will know you already. If they don't, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Sure. Um, I am a non-binary transform drag artist based in Dundee. I've been doing drag for around three or four years now. Um, I am differently abled. I use my drag to express um, my gender, how I feel, um, my artistic passions. I definitely prefer my drag to be a means to channel a personality which already exists rather than a pre a preconceived character or anything like that. Um, it's definitely a medium that I love to use to platform my opinions and platform my sense of humour. Um, it was definitely to start with something I used to find myself, but now it's something I use to express myself. And yeah, um, I guess that's a good summary. That is very good. And to be honest, like, it's so funny, but I'm not surprised you're actually inspired by Kate Bush if that's how you feel about performance, because that's kind of what she encapsulates in hers, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Like, my, like, I, with, so I have such, like, an eclectic group of women that I'm, like, inspired by. I definitely find my inspirations in people like um, Kate Bush, Anna Nicole Smith, like, big, empowered women who were just, like, any opportunity they could to, like, get who they were out there and they used whether they use their music to do that their body to do that their fucking husband's money like that's what it's all about for me it's about finding places you can to get yourself in there and allow your voice or who you are to be heard like that's definitely what drag is about for me rather than um like playing up someone else or like um hiding who I am or you know what I mean yeah you're so right and it's Anna Nicole Smith and Kate Bush I mean Total to an extra hun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, I feel like it's very, like, my, like, queer non-binary section is all, like, Kate Bush and people like that. And then, like, my passion for, like, femininity and, like, glamour definitely comes from, like, people like Anna Nicole Smith and, like, starlets like Marilyn Monroe. Just, like, the big glamorous bombshells of, like, and, like, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, like just like pop femme icons it's just like that's it for me you are bringing drag into new avenues that i love and i'm here for <laughs> absolutely incredible so let's kind of start off by asking you know what was it like growing up in dundee are you from originally from dundee yeah so i was born in livingston well i was born in livingston hospital because i stayed in a small town called ockendini for like a year and then we moved to Carnoustie which is maybe like 45 minutes by car outside of Dundee so it's a small seaside town um god it's I, I don't necessarily feel it's the worst place to live um but it definitely wasn't the best either as far as small-minded towns go it there was definitely so Carnoustie is strange because it's got a massive class divide in it wherein there's a large it's basically the town is split in half and there's a large section of it which is working class or below that and there's a large section of it which is middle class and upper class and then so the primary schools are on either end of that and the high school's right in the middle so it's one high school where all of these different classes blend and I was from the working class side so you come into the school as a young kind of disadvantaged um gay well I'll say boy because that's what I was identifying as at the time and I came out when I was 12 so in first year wow um and it was more I was always kind of intelligent and self-assured so I never really had much of a struggle with bullying as if it was a physical sense of bullying as in like physical abuse there was nothing much I could do about that but I never got very much of that but when it came to verbal bullying I never really got a whole lot purely because I could assert myself so much and it's something I'm obviously privileged to have been able to do um but 
whilst I wasn't bullied, I had a lot of issues throughout school because I had a lot of issues going on at home with my family um, and with abuse from my, like members of my family and stuff like that. So it was like I didn't experience bullying, but then I had a whole other ballpark going on that not a lot, lot of other people did because so many people were like from two parent families and had kind of like golden homes. Um, and so I left school in, I kind of began to, began to struggle with school in fourth year and then left and then mental health issues came into play um, and I had that whole struggle. But it was more to do with like, it was less to do with the town and more to do with like, when everyone in your town is so kind of perfect, it makes anyone who's not perfect, it makes it so much more glaring. And that was something I always struggled with was feeling like it was like, not that I was the odd one out because I was gay or anything, I was the odd one out because I had issues and lots of other people didn't. Mm. Um, but like I got, I moved, I stayed at home um, after leaving school and I was working full time for Lush. And then I moved two, two years ago with my partner. We finally moved into Dundee, into our own place, which is where we are now. And it's definitely been um, a huge improvement. So I don't necessarily look back on Carnoustie as a town being like a bad place. It's more about that it just didn't facilitate like what I was going through at all. Um, it definitely could have been worse. It's so interesting hearing you say this because I've been working with On Fife Cultural Trust doing this like artist in residence job the last week. And I've been talking mm-hmm. to LGBT kids at Kirkcaldy High School. And they mm-hmm. were what it's like to you know grow up in the queer community in Fife, which mm-hmm. is a small town. When you mm-hmm. think about it, compared to like Edinburgh and Dundee and all these other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was interesting to sort of hear what their experiences were like. And it's quite a common thing, I feel, very much like the Bronski Beat Small Town Boy song. Uh, you yeah. Know, countryside environment, feeling like you're not around people you know, that you've got a lot of problems and everyone else wants that traditional nine to five Monday, Friday life. They don't really get yeah. problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to say on the podcast, just want to let you know this like thank you so much for sharing that stuff about you know family issues and stuff because that's so raw and it's well done you for having the strength to that because a lot of people myself included like had issues that had grown up and it's very difficult to share that on a public platform so well done you being able to do that it's definitely important to me you know I feel like I'm lucky I've been able to process all of this through therapy and mental health support and everything like that so I think it's my responsibility as someone who has been lucky to be able to process it that I try and normalize it and be transparent about it because if you are if people see someone in the position I am not like to buy myself up but someone who's mildly visible being transparent about things like this it normalizes it and makes it easier for them to start having the conversation with themselves about expressing it to other people and trying to get support because that's the hardest part is starting talking about it and once you've done it you realize how easy it is yeah you're so right and it was literally the anniversary two weeks ago of my first ever to juve and that Mm -hmm. was my show ways to juve was i broke the taboo subject of doing a drag show that was about sexual assault and everyone afterwards was like holy shit a drag queen's talking about these things and i totally relate with what you're saying that when you normalize these things, people are more open and honest to talk about these things and it's easier for other people. So mm-hmm. for being a pioneer, being involved in that, you're amazing. Thank you. Let me just clarify, you worked in Lush. I had no clue you worked in Lush. What yeah, I, I worked in Lush for like like three quarters of a year, like half a year. Um, I was started as a Christmas temp and then worked like mildly over the contract. I have a lot as a whole thing. I mean, the people who work in Lush, it's kind of, they have a really good time or they have the worst time in the world. Really? It's a whole other story to talk about, but um, it was definitely, for someone who had anxiety and was insecure in themselves, it was definitely a, an interesting job to be in because it's such a, high pressure job for social interaction and pushing and selling product and all these really intense social interactions and without that if you don't do well in those social interactions you're then like immediately pulled up by supervisors and it's like you didn't do this you didn't do this you didn't do this so whilst it did really fuck me up and kind of chewed me up and spat me out it made me so aware of like oh okay, here's the things I'm struggling with and I think I should really go away and deal with these things, which I then went and did. Um, 
I mean, it's a fun job and there's a lot of benefits and it definitely was a really important part of my queer experience, you know, coming from Carnoustie and going there. You meet all these amazing queer people, all these really visibly queer people. And I was like, I like, skinny twink who like wore all black and like thought a little smoky brown shadow was like breaking the gender binary um so meeting all these people I was like this is amazing like I think the people I met there really facilitated my music taste now and like my interests and stuff like that but it definitely ended up being um uh I don't even know how to word it a mental mentally awakening experience where I had a lot more issues that I didn't I wasn't aware of already and it makes you aware of any inadequacy you're dealing with at all but you get to smell great so I guess it's all sunshine and rainbows isn't it it's so funny hearing you talk about this so the reason I ask you because you mentioned it briefly to get a talk a bit about it was and I've never talked about this on the podcast so this makes this episode a bit extra special is <laughs> one of the jobs I went for was at Lush and it's like <laughs> one of the job interviews I had that I actually really hated because yeah went for a group interview did this sort of wanky mm-hmm. what I would have done at uni experience of spray this what does it make you think of yeah. like oh here it comes uni is gonna pay off like drama stuff but I remember getting my actual trial shift and mm-hmm. going and them being region that I'd only sold eight products during a trial shift yeah feedback they were like we just felt you didn't really get the customers and you didn't sell enough and I thought to myself you expect someone in a trial shift to sell more than eight products literally like that's so much like that's more than I could sell in like like a weekday shift and that's the thing it's such a push 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 for like project selling and like intense customer interaction man have you been to Dundee but people in Dundee they don't want to talk they don't want to chat. They don't want to make nice. They just want to get in, get what they want and go. So like 10 a.m. on a Monday morning, trying to push soap on some poor, dunty old woman who's not interested in talking. She doesn't want to chat. And like, you'd get like shouted at by customers and then you'd get pulled in the back and they'd be like, why was that interaction not good? And you'd be like, Mary, because Sandra didn't want to talk about soap. She wanted to get and sniff some shit and go. She was not interested. And they'd be like, well, that's not acceptable. You're not allowed to say the customer doesn't want to talk. And you're like, well, girl, I've just come from an after to open this shop. So what do you want from me? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's hilarious. I've just came from an after. What do you want from me? (laughs) Because it literally would be like, there'd be days where I'd be like, I've got an opening shift tomorrow, but I want to go out tonight. The only uniform was something black and white. So I would wear a black and white outfit out the night before and then go straight from the afters, try and touch up my makeup and go into work the next day. And you know, when you're on a come down and you're standing in lush, you kind of for reality slips for a minute and it's moments like that where you think wow this is where my life is now and how do we get back from here i mean when i went to lush when i used to go into lush when lush would be open i would lose mm-hmm. reality sober on coffee so i can totally imagine like, in a way that come down must have been horrific actually for me it would be like <laughs> oh, get me out here and um, i do love that see this is the thing that is a difference between a Leo mentality and usually a Sagittarius. And the only reason I say Sagittarius is because Amy Lamore, as we know, is um, one of the most loud and proud drag queens that's like a bit tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. The amount of time... Sagittarius too. Really? Yeah. Amy's the kind of drag queen I know that she'd go, right, do I go about an afters? Do I go to work tomorrow? Well, we'll just wing it. Whereas a Leo go, right, I want to go out tonight but I have work tomorrow, so I'm going to have to wear the same outfit so I can go straight in. <laughs> literally, or I'd, I'd literally be like, okay, so I'm going to do this kind of makeup because this makeup will hold up throughout the day and I can touch it up. Because I could be like, oh, I'll do full coverage, like heavy powder spook, but then that'll crack and get crunchy and I'm not going to be able to touch that up. So I'll do something light and dewy and that'll be able to be touched up throughout the night and get touched up for work the next morning. Like Leo's think Sagittarius is like, wing it, going guns blazing, what happens, happens. And then they went about the consequences. <laughs> you are very intelligent I'm here for this so what kind of got you into drag then I know this is such an odd question to ask a lot of drag kings queens and artists but mm-hmm. actually got you into wanting to do drag and perform- I wasn't I wasn't like a drag race queen I know a lot of queens are like I watched drag race and then did drag I never feel I don't think I was ever like that I remember my one of my first experiences of drag I remember seeing Willem's music videos and I don't think I knew they were drag queens I think I had a vague awareness of trans people and I thought they were maybe like trans women because I remember detox like tapes or tits 
yeah. like her like so I was like that well that they're texts and I was like okay and then it was like obviously kind of twins this already pre-existing thing I had were like big glamorous people and I was like well, see I like that and I'd always been a dressed up child like I was always dressing up I loved wigs I loved the the dresses the gigs I loved it all and so when I got older I, my mum was super against dressing up or anything. If she caught me dressing up at kids' club, it would be a big no-no. And then I got older and realised, I was like, oh, there's adults that do this. This isn't just like a child thing. And then my friend ordered a wig for Comic-Con because um, we went to Glasgow. We used to go to Glasgow Comic-Con every year. And I remember I put it on and I was doing boy mugs at this point because I started doing boy mugs when I was in like sixth year. Um, I put this wig on and I had these huge black brows and my little lip gloss and everything. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, I'm a woman. This is everything. And it was the crunchiest blonde wig. I'd literally folded the lace back because we didn't know how to cut it. But I was like, this is everything. I'm a woman. And then I never really did anything with that again. We just used to put the wig on sometimes and play. And then um, there was a, we'd been doing drag makeup in the house for like a, a year or something and then there was a drag night at a club we go to called reading rooms which doesn't exist anymore in dundee and we were like oh i was like well i'm gonna go in drag and so i put this big on and i got in full drag and i went out and i don't i was like vaguely like this was drag but i was also just like it was clothes i wore all the time because i was already kind of like dressing up but i had to wake and i had lots of makeup on well actually i didn't have very much makeup on and i was like this is great and then it just kind of never really stopped and it was not, it wasn't drag. And I didn't have a drag name. I was just, it was my real name. And that was when the trans thing twinged. When I went, oh, I don't exist outside of having a wig on and being dressed up. And it's kind of became a bit of a thing where it was like, I literally cannot exist as a person outside of dressing up like this. And then, um, so I, st I was stopped doing drag and I was like, I call it my cross-dressing phase because to me it's completely separate from my drag because mm -hmm. drag is a separate identity outside of your pre-existing identity and this was my identity. Like I was not, didn't exist if I wasn't this person. Um, and it was a whole thing of where it's like, I think a lot of people when they start to realise they're trans, they find their femininity immediately and then they exist in that femininity. But I had a femininity, but it was so different from what I already had that it became an issue where I was like, no, no, I need to find someone I can be day to day because I can't, this is my nightlife person. And it was like going out all the time, going out multiple times a week, getting on it all the time, being dressed up, being dressed up, being dressed up. And then being at home, not being able to look in a mirror, not having it, like not getting dressed, not washing, nothing. Because I was like, I'm no one outside of this dressed up character. And then once I finally managed to find who I was out of drag, I then began to culture this person again. And I was like, no, I do like having a separate thing where I can express myself differently. And I found the value in drag again, where I nurtured the difference between the two. And I, it's only really like, I feel like throughout lockdown, that's the point where I can safely say after all these years, I'm like, I found a comfortable feminine space that I can exist in outside of drag. And I've truly been able to se completely separate drag and myself um because i know there's a lot of there's a lot of trans queens who do drag who they do stop doing drag because it does become a thing where it's like you love yourself so much more as this drag character than you do out of that and it makes it so hard to exist really um so it's definitely been a long process but i feel like through drag i found myself and then through myself i found drag wow put on a t-shirt that sounds like a good quote. That was that was actually beautiful. That was amazing. Thank you. Because loss of identity um, has been a reoccurring theme of this podcast from season one and two that a lot mm -hmm. of artists and journalists I've spoken to have said the pandemic made them sit and actually think about who they are outside of drag. Well, yeah, like a lot of my cis male friends who do drag, like it definitely becomes a thing where you get so consumed in this person that you get more attention as, you feel more attractive as, and it really, whilst people think drag queens are like the most powerful people in the world, so often it points out the glaring parts of your life that you're not attending to already. And it really makes you think about, actually, I'm not looking after my boy self or girl self or person self or whatever, and I need to put the wigs away and 
care for myself and find out who I am. Because you see it like, I mean, on Drag Race, you see people like Lawrence, who's such a dra big drag person, you see where they're like, it's not until I've done the show where I have to be like, oh, I need to focus on me. And like Ellie was about the same where it's like, oh, I need boy clothes. I have like no boy clothes. And it's because you're drag, 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 that you don't become introspective and go, oh, but who am I outside of that? You know what I mean? You're so right and it's so accurate. And that this is why it's such an important conversation you've brought. I'm really actually so impressed. Um, so before the pandemic had happened, you know, what sort of gigs were you doing and performing before then Miss Rona hit? Um, I, like, whilst I have a lot of drag experience, like doing drag, I was never like, I've not got a lot of like performance experience because, I mean, that's a whole other topic of like the, the way that male, cis male drag artists are treating the drag scene versus trans drag artists. Um, because it wasn't until like a year, like a year and a half into my drag, Fauna gave me my first gig. Um, and he was like, have you never performed before? And I'm like, no, because like, you, I feel like cis male drag artists can go into a club in drag for the first time and there'll be people who are like, oh, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Like, and they, it's like, oh, here's your first gig. Here's your first gig. Um, which obviously isn't a universal experience, but I've seen it. Mm -hmm. um, and it took me a really long time to try and like, I was like, why are people not like picking up what I'm putting down? And it was like kind of a struggle to get gigs. I've done a few. I definitely had... Before Rona, I had a good track, like, um, what would you even call it? Like, a good route of, like, I had gigs coming up. Petite's takeover was meant to happen. That was going to be, like, a big thing for me because I've looked up petite, to Petite for ages and I've become really close with her throughout lockdown. Um, but definitely, I felt like my drag was going in a good place and I was finding what I liked to perform more and people were noticing me more. Um, and then obviously I found different avenues to do that instead throughout lockdown, mm -hmm. like Havana's Meltdown, etc. So how have you found, yeah, because I remember when you did that competition, I was blown away by the incredible work. I mean, yeah. running my money and I've done this seven years this year. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, that was like a really important thing for me because it's like asserting yourself in the drag scene is really hard. Doing it as a trans woman is even harder because it's so hard to gain the respects of, um, men who are fundamentally um, men who fundamentally often do think with their lower parts rather than necessarily let me uplift this person because they're a talent and drag queen there is such a culture of how people look out of drag being such an important part of who they are in drag and your sexual viability being such an important part of how you're valued as a drag artist so the minute that you're a trans woman in a scene that is fundamentally run by gay men you lose all that value so you have to work, 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 work as a drag artist to push yourself to be noticed. And I felt that competition was such a good way for people to see what I can do. And it was important for me to be like, I'm not just like, I've had people say shit like, oh, you know, you're just the one in the flat wig and a red dress. And, you know, when I see you, I just expect like, we are in like a red dress and a flat wig and blah, like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was an important thing for me to go, you know what, I'm not just that. I can do this, 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 this. I can get to the finale of this pageant in a pandemic alongside people who are residents of the biggest shows in Scotland, have won competitions, are like nationally respected. I can get there and do the same thing. And whilst there were people who became spankers and were like, okay, I see you, there were still people who were pig-headed and were like, oh, no, it was because of this or it was because of this or they don't, they still didn't get on the train um, but I feel like that competition was like, oh, I couldn't have been, I don't think I would be where I am in drag if it hadn't been for the ways I pushed myself during that competition. Like winning a snatch game was, I mean, big drag queens in Scotland have bombed, Havana and Fauna both bombed snatch games. Like to have like people I respect do badly in snatch games and then for me to win one was like, I mean, icon shit. You did, honestly, yeah, icon shit. You've been turning out the content. And you, I know that you said this comment about red dress and flat cap, but you actually are so versatile in the looks that you've done in drag. Mm -hmm. And one of my favourite was definitely the groovy chick look. That, for me, as a sort of a personal aesthetic, I was like, this is absolutely the look. Like, Thank you. Like, it's, it's like I, I, I got stuck for a while. I've done, it was after, 
it was not long after Ellie got on Drag Race. So I posted my post with Ellie and then I kind of got stuck. And I'd been doing lives with her out of drag. I'd been doing a lot of out of drag stuff. And I gained, obviously, a large, like, a larger following through Ellie. And then I was kind of like, shit. And I could feel all these eyes on me. And I, I kind of faltered for a minute. And I was like, I don't like what I'm doing. And now I really feel the pressure to have to deliver something. And I never really felt that before. My drag was always something I did for me. Whilst I am an anxious person, it's never necessarily about what other people think of me because if it was about that, I wouldn't still be doing drag. Um, but then for a minute, I was like, well, I, what do I do? And it like, the people close to me will know. I was like, I was doing makeup and I was like, I fucking hate this. I need to wipe it all off and start again. Um, and then I did a groovy chip look and I was like, okay, I'm back in my rhythm again. I found kind of a different face. And now obviously we've got the Club Kids show coming up. Um, that's going to be huge. Like I've got a really good look planned for that. Um, yeah. Um, the pandemic interesting as far as drag goes. That's so interesting. So when's that, co- in that show with the Club Kids then? February 27. Yeah, February 27th. Uh, February 27th on clubkids.co.uk. I have a link tree in my bio for ticket links. Um, that's definitely, like, going to be the biggest thing I've done in drag. Whilst it's, like, still digital, um, I mean, it's come up, the second biggest thing would be, like, working the Blue Hydrangea meet and greet. But, like, I mean, this is just, like, it's so heartwarming to have someone like Ellie be like oh because when she messaged me she'd be like I'm doing my own club kids show obviously I'm gonna have you I mean obviously I know she will have me but it's just it feels nice to have um have a cis gay man be there gunning for me to do well and like be there supporting me and like we filmed stuff for the COVID special that was on to that we watched earlier and it was unfortunate it didn't get shown because I did say they were like what's it been like with Ellie during the pandemic and it was been like Ellie's been at my side supporting me through everything, helping with everything. Like, I dropped off a duvet at her door and went, I need this dress for Melton because I really, this like, it was the most, when I was doing Melton, I was like, this is the most important thing to me in the entire world. And I need this opportunity to prove myself because I don't know when the opportunity is going to arise again. And so I dropped the duvet off and I was like, I need this dress. I've drawn it, do it. And she did it and then dropped it off at mine. And I was like, she was there for me anytime I needed it to support me, to help me, to pick me up when I was down. And it's so rare that, I think it's so rare that women can say that there has been, like, women in the queer community at least can say that there has been a gay gay man for their, like, consistently, just the way Ellie is, I can't sing her praises enough. And I did in that, in the footage we filmed, it's just a shame they didn't use it. Ellie, honestly, is a diamond, though. And, like, with you... Mm -hmm. Like your hard work is clearly paying off because the world is now sending you good things. And I'm, yeah, that Leo mentality, hard work is finally paying off. I mean, Literally, I'm like, it's like uh, people have such a vapid view of Leo's, Leo's where they're all like, oh, it's ego, it's ego, it's ego. And like, we don't know how self deprecating I am. It's so rare that, like, I'll jokingly be like, oh, like, Queen shit, I'm an icon, blah, 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 blah. But like, having people just like, like even just like replying to all my tweets like all these young women not even young women queer women who are constantly just like we love everything you do you're amazing we want you in Ellie's cameos like we want you there like it's so heartwarming and it feels so gratifying for like how hard I feel I've worked and like I don't want to like I said I don't want to bat myself up but like I've had a rough paper round through the queer community so to finally feel the results of that it's definitely been like uh, the boost I needed at this point of lockdown. Yeah. So I think an important question, particularly for your episode, which I know you're quite keen to talk about, is what has your experience been in drag as just in general as a trans woman? You know, what's that been like for you? And would you mind sharing your experiences? Definitely. Um, I mean, I think I don't think I know there are parts of my experience which I know link with other people, but I'm not going to say like my experience is universal. I know that there are trans women who've been lucky enough to be able to um, get to a position they are in by consuming their assigned privilege at birth and then have come out and managed to use their platform then. And I know women who have had to fight through the scene, like as women, like me and Lucy have a very shared experience wherein we've had to 
come through the scene as women. We've had to pay our dues and get what we get. Um, and so meeting Lucy was a big thing in drag for me. I'd obviously been doing drag. And then it wasn't until I saw people like Bonna and Lucy who broke the gender rules of drag um, and it like Fauna invited me to their show and like Lucy was such a big icon of mine where I was like just seeing a woman do what I only dreamed I could do was like so and do it like so loud and proud and obviously it was just like life-changing for me honestly um, and then going back into Dundee where there at the time was really no femme representation um the gay men really had a monopoly on all the drag at the time um it was really hard and like you don't get that same there's not that same immediate comrade shit is camaraderie camaraderie yeah. with like where a gay man kind of sees another gay man and they're like I see you obviously there is the kind of daggers daggers sometimes but I feel like there is that kind of Oh, I see you. Oh, sis, we're the same. Oh, yes, my own work, hunty. And then with me, they'd be like, you're in a wig, but we're not the same. And then because I was so out and proud and so vocal and I was always being the same person, it was always what you see is what you get. Um, it, there was that intimidation there where they were like, oh, no, 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 scary women, you're scary. And I got pushed away. Um, and it was hard. Like, I felt like I was giving what, other people were giving but I was not getting the same back so I had to really work I had to go to Gla like travel through to Glasgow to get gigs travel through to Edinburgh to get gigs because it was just not whatever I was putting down in Dundee was just not getting picked up and then I met Ellie who I'd met her previously before drag and then I met her again when I'd been doing drag and we kind of knew each who each other were and she's kind of had a rough ride in the scene where she'd left bingo wigs and was just doing drag on her own and so we became really close and she started to really nurture what I had and was like, you know, like your personality and everything is great. Like, I'll help you with wigs. I'll help you with outfits. Um, and then it's, I mean, it's not long. It's only recently changed where, and I feel like obviously I'd spoken to some of the Queens in the Dundee scene and I'd been very open about this, my experience where, and I felt I was not platformed the same way that other people in the scene were. And, you know, they were really receptive and they were like, well, I'm really sorry. I, didn't really think about the impact of this and um like I hope we can move forward from this and obviously this was during lockdown so um it's obviously we've not been able to reap the rewards of that yet but I think that I don't always know if men if male leaders in the scene realize the way that women feel and I don't feel we're often listened to I think that October someone who does a good job of pushing the the rules and pushing a message and she does that well and I feel like people are receptive to it but I still don't feel like men are receptive enough because I feel like it's sad that there are only really I mean Lucy doesn't really have a platform in drag anymore and it feels sad that it's only really myself in October I feel who have the platform to speak about things like this I feel like all women should have a platform and I feel like all women should be listened to um it's definitely just something that I think that we need to continue to talk about and hopefully things will change. Um, but no, I think I had a rough ride and it took really asserting myself more than I feel I should have had to, to get to the position I'm in, which is still not wonderful as it largely is through Ellie um, because women just can't get the same, they can't get into the same positions that, men can really have a platform for just existing or for doing drag or whatever um, and I don't think that's right and I think that women should be allowed to have platforms because you can't get one through drag race necessarily okay. I think it's important it's that's the point it's like they need to go okay well this large vast group of people women and um, non-binary and basically non-cis male drag guards don't have the opportunity for the drag race platform we do so how are we going to give them that platform ourselves because we have the power and that's what Drag Race UK is. It's created that culture in the scene where men can progress, 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 progress and get on Drag Race and blossom and women get stifled locally because they're not given other opportunities and avenues to do that. But obviously you're doing that today. Oh, <laughs> no, like, you're sharing your story and that's the important part for me for hearing you talk about all this. Um, it's so fascinating. Do you feel like when things return, I know that's such a sort of stark question when things return, but do you feel like when things return, you would maybe want to try and do 
your own show or try push to sort of give other people that voice then? I mean, it's definitely something I've thought about a lot. I think that um, there are so few femme people with residencies or who run others who run shows in um Scotland and I think that I feel like I could it's just uh, I constantly hold myself back where I'm like I feel like I could and fundamentally I feel like I could be qualified enough to oh, yeah but I just constantly doubt myself and I'm like no but you don't deserve that or you shouldn't do that um obviously I have my kind of hands full with Ellie right now because I mean I'm some of the brains behind the madness and some of the push behind the shove. So I like I work like work kind of recreationally as her assistant right now until obviously lockdown is over and tours are happening and stuff like that. So my hands aren't too full like that. I definitely would love to have my own show or some role in a show to promote them and non-binary people more. Um but outside of that, I just hope to be able to use some form of platform. I definitely am thinking about podcasts, YouTube stuff, some form of non-drag performance or look-related content that I can get myself and other marginalised voices heard. Amazing. That's honestly so inspiring. And I, I, I kind of get the impression on Twitter and stuff that you're very busy as sort of Ellie's right, right-hand woman. Like, honestly, Literally. you're doing really well keeping her going Thanks. Great partnership. What's it been like being on like cami videos and stuff with Ellie? I, I don't know. I mean, we both kind of when it was when when things started, like when the show was announced, there was never really like because of lockdown, it made it really hard to kind of have that pinch me moment where it all felt real. Like Ellie kept going, it just doesn't feel like you know real. And I was like, no, I know because it's just kind of like things happen and you obviously feel all the stuff online but I genuinely don't like we do the cameos and like it feels nice but I don't think we'll really get that overwhelming oh my god until we're at a show and you see the audience and like when the Voss if the Voss event tour happens like the big drag is UK tour I don't think it will feel that oh my god I can't believe this is happening until you can visually see all the hundreds of people. I mean, I do kind of get it now where I'm like, I'll go on Twitter and I'll open my notifications and I have to click the show more and scroll down to see them all. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of like, or like even on live when we're like really struggling to read the comments, I'm like, oh, this is kind of crazy. But I don't think we'll get that through crazy, doesn't feel real moment until it's like, that you see the audience, you know what I mean? Totally. It's like for me, I've been doing online content with like the National Theatre of Scotland and BBC. And for me, it doesn't feel like when you're out there actually doing it, you feel like you're yeah. happening. It feels like sort of I'm putting people videos online. Sitting. Literally, literally, like uh, I need that like physical experience of like all the people. Totally, I totally get you. You know, you're such an activist, in my opinion. You know, if there were younger, people from the trans and non-binary community listening to this, which I think there will be, what would you kind of say if they wanted to start doing drag? What would your words of wisdom be? Um, I think that rather than if you're going to start doing drag, don't look for the people that you see everyone else looking for. Look for people that represent you. Like people get so caught up in going, oh, I love this Ruger, I love this Ruger, I love this community leader, this community leader. Look for the people who look like you and that will value you the most because you'll find yourself looking for your experience and people who don't have your experience and that's only going to hinder you. Look for people who have experienced what you experienced and it will only validate, boost and inspire you more. I find myself struggling for so long and looking in people who didn't look like me or weren't like me to try and be like, but I should be doing that and I should be like them. And it's not going to happen. Look for people like I did when I saw people like Lucy and Fauna, trans and femme proud people, and go, I should be doing that. And how did they do that? And I'm going to do that. And that will benefit you so much more. That's so useful. That's brilliant. For you, like, this is a difficult question to ask a lot of guests right now, but on season two of Afternoon Delight, we asked people, what did 2020 teach them? And what are they grateful for in 2021? Did you manage to kind of have a think about that? Because it's a hard way. What, what did 2020 teach me? I definitely think that 
2020 taught me who I sound so RuPaul taught me like the value of chosen family. I got to spend so many cherished moments with people who I found outside of my family and the moments I found I've cherished so much more. I had so many years ago, I had so many fleeting moments with all these people I thought I loved at parties and afters, but I love you, you know, and it's so gushy and weightless. And then now I cherish the true friendships I have. I was lucky enough to be able to have my birthday during um, the lull, that weird lull moment in lockdown and got to spend it with some of like my closest friends who like I really love. Um, it just made me feel like I've learned to appreciate myself more in 2020. While from the Leo, um, and I know I'm like a goddess or whatever, it definitely made me really go, no, actually I am great. And this is why I'm great because these people love me. Um, and people go, oh, well, you need to love yourself for yourself. And it's all about how you feel about yourself. But there's nothing wrong with going, looking at the relationships around you and going, well, actually, no, if these amazing people love me, then I must be something. And I definitely think that's something 21 is 2020 has taught me. And I'm going to take into my relationship in 2021 where I don't feel anxious about what this person's going to think of me because I have some sort of fundamental belief about my value as a person. And I don't have any issues asserting that anymore. That's amazing. What we're hearing these inspiring sort of um, thoughts and feelings. You know, what for you? If I asked you this off the cusp, right? What is your favorite performance, live or digital, that you've ever done? Definitely, I did Drag Age, which was Claire's Claire successfully show in aid of homelessness, um, in response to two men who I believe worked in a venue in Glasgow were posting videos mocking homeless people and um, like beating up a homeless person's tent and like peeing on it. So Claire organized this show with a bunch of Scottish drag artists to benefit homeless charities. And I performed my favorite Dizzy Rascal number, Don't Gas Me, and which itself is a number about people who blow smoke up your arse and um, pretend they know you and they love you. And it was so representative of what I said just there about people you don't even know being like, oh, I love you, I love you because of what they perceive of you rather than who you are. And that's what that number is about for me. It's like, I know I'm great. You don't have to tell me I'm great. But it was such a great number because it was downstairs in Polo and it was a very, the audience were like this far from you, like just on the edge of you and Fauna and Diana and all my best friends were right at the front and Fauna and Diana were screaming and clapping fans and like Lawrence and Lucy were hosting and it was just like, a true moment where it was like everyone I love, bar Lana and Ellie, are in this room and feeling and hearing this audience, like just loving what I was doing. I've never really experienced it on that level before. Um, yeah, I think about it a lot and it makes me feel like really emotional. It's just like, I don't know, like for someone who was desperately looking and looking and looking and looking for that validation in places I was never going to get it to, get that so candidly was just like amazing I'll never forget it do you know they call that in psychology and in therapy like a safe space experience that if you ever yeah. feel anxious or you want to ground yourself if you think of that safe space you'll automatically feel much better and it's definitely fun for you and I'll watch the, I'll watch the videos of like like skinny had never seen me perform that number before and it's her videoing this minute I start performing she like lets out the most like candid laugh where she's like oh my god and like screams and you hear like Fauna and Diana screaming oh it was just like it was amazing absolutely amazing you're amazing this has been such a lovely interview I'm so glad we got to finally do this um before you know we sign off with the infamous quote of every episode what um where can people follow you on social media to keep up to date with your content um, so my Instagram, my Instagram and my Twitter are both the same and underscore spank. Um, I have a link tree in my Instagram bio, which has a link to all my socials and tickets for the Club Kids show. Um, I have applied for Cameo. Don't ever get it, but that might be an option. <laughs> um, uh, where else can you find me? Um, you can usually find me in the Chinese supermarket in Dundee or possibly in Boots, replenishing all my skincare. Um <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of social media stuff. I'm, me and Ellie are going to be filming some content for her YouTube, which is just Ellie Diamond. Um, so that will be coming soon as well. Um, I think that's everything. Yeah. You've, you've given me loads. That's absolutely amazing. Obviously, 
episode we finish with an infamous quote from the guest, either an inspiring quote that's famous or a quote from yourself. I would love for you to episode with that quote. Well, I feel like I said a lot of heartwarming and inspirational things so far. This is a real toss-up between two. So I'm going to give two because I feel they represent two important parts of me. I feel there's a quote from Tiffany Pollard. She says, I'm not a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm a wolf. You see me coming. And I believe it was the late great philosopher Onika Tanya Mirage who said, I'm a bitch, I'm a cunt, and I'll kick that whole punt. That's all I have to say. Fiery. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> punt. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Not at all. I loved having you. Stay safe. Okay, thank you. Wow. I mean, the fire, the inspiring wisdom and words, the moon and Capricorn. I mean, I was loving this interview. I've got a moon in Torres, so a moon in Capricorn and a moon in Torres is just like the best combination. This was just such an important discussion to have. I really don't want to even try and sort of, as a non-binary person, even and say, oh, well, this is my opinion on this, because no, it's... It's about someone else's experience of the drag community right now. And I'm so glad that I managed to help and share this. And I think that Anna's just absolutely incredible. And I'm so glad that she came on, spoke about how she felt about everything. And, you know, I know for a fact that when stage is open, she's got a great support system and network of people, including myself, that would be happy to help her get a night on its feet, do amazing things with it. And also, you know, in light of all the stuff Anne's been doing on social media and seeing what she's been doing with Ellie as well, I very much can see big things coming for Anne in the future, which is very exciting. And I'm sure I hope that she deep down knows that because, you know, like she said herself, Leos are strong-willed, determined, but they're their own worst critic. And a lot of what happens on the surface isn't what's going on underneath in terms of emotions and I just think that she's definitely going to take things places and I'm so impressed with how she's managed to during the pandemic especially put all that into action and like I said the world has given back for all the hard work she's putting out there and that's the important thing. Thank you so much for joining me on Afternoon Delight into Ansbank. Oh absolutely incredible. Um, and now I'm going to have a dietitian on tomorrow talking about the ways in which the pandemic's affected people's lifestyles and their diet. It's going to be such a great episode. I'm going to sign off for the day, but until then, stay safe. Please give Anne's Bank a follow and remember to breathe. Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories. A local podcast for local artists.